Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We are looking now at the seventh letter, the last of the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the church of Laodicea. Now, the church of Laodicea was in a city that had learned to be self-reliant. Their culture was one of compromise and half-hearted commitment to God. Yeah, the church did more to benefit themselves than to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had an inward focus. They were much more like a civic organization than they were a church. Their goal was not to meet the needs of others, but to meet their own needs. And we see here that Jesus loved that church at Laodicea, and he loved them enough to cause to call them out on their fake deeds of worship. So, bless her heart. She just, I don't know what it is with babies in my preaching. They just, they want to give an amen. But I'll take it. Oh, she is so cute. But the thing is, is that as before we jump into the scripture, I do need to do a little bit of a groundwork as far as background goes, because as we jump into this letter, we see a congregation of believers that quite honestly need to get over themselves. They need to come right out and and get right with God. I mean, there's no way of sugarcoating this. I know it seems harsh. But especially coming right out of the gate of the sermon, but it's true. You see, Laodicea stood out among the seven churches. If you go back and look at the other letters of the other six churches we read, there's some standouts of the seven cities referenced in this collection of letters. Laodicea was by far the wealthiest of the cities. And not only was it the wealthiest of the cities, it was able to sustain itself. I'll tell you what I mean in a minute. But of the seven churches, Laodicea was the only church to not receive a commendation from Jesus, only a correction. All the other letters, Jesus would say, I know what you're doing and you're doing this well and you knew you're doing that well, but I hold this against you. But in this one, it was just plain. Look, y'all are messing up. Now, you might think that that's a bad thing, but. And the truth is, he loved them enough to call them out on what they were doing. You see, Laodicea was almost destroyed about 60 years after Christ's death. There was an earthquake that rocked that whole region. And of all the cities and of all the places that were destroyed by the earthquake, do you know that Laodicea took no help from the Roman government? There were no assistance programs No paycheck protections. They were offered to Laodicea, but they said, no, we don't need them. We can take care of it it ourselves. We don't need government. We don't need anybody. We can do it on our own. Very prideful. And it was good that they could do that, right? How in the world could Laodicea do that? They could do that because they were rich and they were wealthy. But the truth of the matter is, is is that Laodicea here... They decided not to take this bailout. Why in the world could they do that? Well, there was two main reasons. Number one is that they produced this very rich, lush, glossy type of black cloth. They had, evidently they had sheep that had this very illustrious wool that they could 
shave off the sheep and make this beautiful cloth out of it. So if you had something made of that cloth, whether it be clothes or curtains or robes or whatever, you were seen as rich because that was almost like gold is to us today. That was very valuable in that day. So they produced that, thereby the city had a lot of good Good money, a lot of income coming in. And the second thing was, is that we learned from another church that we studied earlier, is that they worship the god Asclepius. Can you say Asclepius? Uh, you got it. Good job. Asclepius was the god of healing. And if you remember, uh, they would take snakes and put them on the floor of the temple of the god of Asclepius. And if they felt like if the snakes climbed over you, then you would be healed of whatever ailment you had. No, thanks. We, we, I know. That's why you see the medical sign today that's got the snake wrapped around the pole. It came from that type of worship. So we jump to the fact that there was a medical school there in Laodicea. And they made some ointment that was known for Healing someone's eyes. So they made eye ointment. So they had the money from their cloth. They had the money from their eye ointment. And so you would think that because of these things, that they would have everything together and everything that they needed. But the truth of the matter is, with every city, there's a bunch of strength that shrinks, but there's also a weakness. The city has strengths. But it also has one big weakness. The big weakness of Laodicea is they don't have their own water. They don't have their own springs. They don't have their own source of getting any water. So what they had to do is they had to build basically an aqueduct system. And so there were some hot springs about five miles away. So they built this man-made aqueduct system to where and all the engineers are going, cool, I wonder how they did that. They built this thing so the hot water from the hot springs would run through this aqueduct and then it would come to the city of Laodicea. And so that way, when the water came out, it started hot, but by the time it came out, it was lukewarm. And it had minerals in it. So if you've ever had smelled mineral water or water that's not been treated, it, it has minerals in it, it can have quite a stench to it. So they had stinky water that was lukewarm. But I guess they love that. But if you're an enemy, if you want to take that city, all you have to do is stop the water supply and just wait. So because of that, because they knew that they were vulnerable from all of that uh, aqueduct system and the water, is that anytime somebody would come to threaten them, they would always compromise. They would always do whatever they could to make it right with those that were trying to attack them. And so in doing that, they became very weak. They became used to compromise and they became used to quite honestly getting run over. So the philosophy of the Laodiceans was this. Why fight? You're going to lose anyway. So compromise and make the best deal you can. Now, that kind of mentality ended up in the church at Laodicea. The Christians that were following Christ were filled with Compromise. They are filled with compromise. And we see here as we look in our passage today, the background of the city of Laodicea provides crucial insight into understanding the deeper meaning of the text. It's like knowing the meaning of a movie you have seen many times 
or a book you've read over and over again. I'm sure y'all probably have Christmas movies that you watched during the Christmas time. And there are some that you have seen a million and one times. And if there's ever somebody that's there that says, oh, I, I don't think. I don't think I've seen that. Well, that that's full license for you to say, okay, wait for this part. Watch this. This is what this means. And then, am I right? I mean, you're the expert of that movie. So this way we get some context of the scripture. Now, the thing is, is our first point, a lukewarm believer does not see their need for Jesus. A lukewarm believer does not see their need for Jesus. Like a child who wrecks their brand new bicycle they got for Christmas. Their only concern is the condition of the bicycle after the wreck, never minding the injuries and the scrapes and the bruises that they got from it. They're focused on that bike. And the thing is, is that Christians, they weren't, the Christians of Laodicea were not focused on what Jesus wanted for their lives. They were focused on what they wanted for themselves. And we see here, Jesus is all we need. Listen to his introduction of himself. He says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is a message from the one who is the Amen. The one who is the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. So Jesus begins this letter by instructing the messenger of the church to tell them that he is the Amen. Now, when we say Amen, Amen means it is done, or, or so be it. When we say, Amen, we're like saying, that's right. That's nothing else you can add to it. That's it. Let's do it. The issue is settled. So here comes Jesus saying, I am the Amen. I am the one and only. It's finished. I am the one true original source. He also says that he is faithful and true. Their world, just like ours, there were many people that believed many things. If you go and you ask anybody in our city today what you believe, you will have 50 different people that believe different things about how you get to heaven, what eternal life is about, what the afterlife is about, and every one of them will think that they're right. It's called relative truth. Whatever's true for you will apply to you, and whatever's True for me will apply to me. Well, I would love to fly, but I'm not going to try it. I mean, I'm not going to get the the outfit and the cape and go to the top of the the building and jump off it and say, I believe I can fly. It, It would be a mess, wouldn't it? It doesn't matter what you believe. Jesus is the truth. His word is the truth. And he is telling them that. And he also says that he is the beginning of God's new creation. This does not mean that God created Jesus. This does not mean that Jesus was just something that that God put together. By saying that he is the beginning of the new creation, God and Jesus are one. They have always been. They have always existed. Jesus is not a created being. He just has always been. So, When it says from the beginning of God's new creation, the word beginning does not refer to like the beginning is one, two, three and four. The beginning means is that he is the source of everything. So if you take all of this introduction, this is what it means. Jesus knows everything about the church of Laodicea because he is God. He is truth and he is the creator of all. My friend, God has created you. 
and all of your quirks and all of your shortcomings and all of your positives and all of your strengths. You were created by God and Jesus was a part of that. And so Jesus calls them out for being lukewarm. He says in verse 15, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Folks, remember this. If you hear nothing I've said so far, Jesus knows you. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus knows you. He knows your faith. He knows the temperature of your spiritual walk. He knows all the things you do. And the thing is, why is Jesus calling this church out? Is he calling them out to put them on a guilt trip? Absolutely not. He's calling them out to get them to remedy the problem. Jesus doesn't want you to be lukewarm. Look, no one prospers by living in the middle of anything. An athlete who plays good enough not to get kicked off the team, but not good enough to contribute to the team. is someone who would be lukewarm. A co-worker that's not pulling their weight. A parent wanting their child to behave like a believer, but never having them in church or model Christ in front of them. That is lukewarm parenting. Or someone who believes that they need to seek the praise of others rather than the praise of God. That will lead to lukewarm living. The idea of being spiritually lukewarm is not a foreign concept to us all. Matter of fact, this is what lukewarm faith means. Lukewarm faith means you are committed enough to Christ to worship him and pray to him, but not sincere enough to obey him. That is lukewarm faith. You love him to worship him. Praise Jesus. Bless the Lord on my soul. Yeah, Jesus, I need you. I pray for this. I need this person to get better. I need this person to do this. I need I need this for me and I need this. Almost like your Santa Claus list. I need, I need, I need, I need. You can pray all of that. But, oh, you want me to do something? No, can't do it. Too busy. God, you know you don't want me to do that. That's lukewarm living. That's a lukewarm faith. The second thing is, a lukewarm faith is not a saving faith. Check out verse 16. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some translations say, I will spew you out of my mouth. Let me give you the real translation. It means I will vomit you out of my mouth. It means that you turn my stomach so much it makes me want to vomit. And I hate saying that word. It just makes me want to vomit when I say vomit. So I'm going to stop saying vomit. He says, you say I am rich and I have everything I want. You don't need a thing. I mean, that was the pride of the layout of sins. I got what I want. I'm good, dog. I don't need anything. Then Jesus says, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Folks, Jesus is not being vague about his feelings on lukewarm living, is he? Jesus is making a spiritual point by using their own physical experiences and literal circumstances. When he says, I know your works, they are neither hot or cold. He's talking about their plumbing. 
He's talking about their aqueduct system. He's saying, look, I know how you get water. And when you get the water, it is lukewarm and it tastes nasty. He says, look, that's not the kind of faith I want you to have. That kind of faith turns my stomach. You think middle ground is safe when you live a lukewarm life. But lukewarm living is like walking in the middle. If you have a lukewarm faith, you are constantly dealing with indecision, with guilt and hope of what you will never achieve in Christ. Because you're not committed enough to get it. I tell people all the time that are are trying to walk the line between being good enough to feel like they are a Christian, but still holding on to the old life. I will tell them, look, you either get off of the fence and live like hell or live for God, but don't be in the middle because either way you're going to be miserable. Get on the boat or get off the boat. That's what Jesus is saying here. Lukewarm living is a life of walking in the middle. A life looking for comfort instead of commitment. Expecting to be served by others rather than to serve those. And our world today looks at the faith of the Laodiceans. If you were to look at the church of Laodicea, it would be a model church for many people today. Why is that? Because they were prosperous. Because they didn't take government handouts. They got along with everyone because they compromised their beliefs with everything. They kept up the image of being faithful, but they had no convictions or obedience to Jesus. That kind of church would thrive in today's culture. They would probably have their own cable network or streaming service. Because they stand for nothing. And their faith is lukewarm. Their belief in Jesus was empty. And if you do not believe in Jesus enough to obey Him and His Word, then you have an empty, lukewarm faith yourself. Let me give you a good portrait of how hot, cold, and lukewarm looks. I can give you three biblical examples of how lukewarm faith works. And before I do that, I want to show you... Paul describes lukewarm living here in 2 Timothy verses 3, 1 through 7. If you would indulge me and read this, it says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Boy, this is starting to read like a newspaper, isn't it? By the way, some of you that don't know what newspapers are, those are actually papers that are delivered to a house that you can read news. They used to have news in it. Or I guess now it would be a Facebook feed. It says, but in the last days there will be difficult times, for people will only will love only themselves and their money, and they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful, and they will consider nothing sacred. Boy, this is sounding just like today, isn't it? They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless and puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. It is like he is reading our very description of our culture today. And then he says this. And remember, he's talking about church people, not those other people. Church people like you and I. He says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And he says, Timothy, whatever you do, stay away from those people. Don't be a lukewarm Christian that looks like a Christian, but doesn't act like one and doesn't have the faith of one. You see, the hardest person, the hardest person to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ is the person who thinks they already have enough Jesus, but they don't obey him. Don't you find it, th- think about this just for a second. 
This is pretty amazing. That prostitutes, tax collectors, and thieves were more open to Jesus than the religious people of the day that he walked around and walked in this world. Those that needed him were more open to him than those that thought they didn't need him because they already had enough. So here's three biblical illustrations of lukewarmness. The thief on the cross when Jesus was being crucified. The thief that had been convicted for we don't know what. (coughs) But one thief yelled at Jesus and cursed him. But the other one said, remember me. Lord, remember me. He knew that he was cold. He knew he had no faith. He knew he needed Jesus. He said, Jesus, please save me before I draw my last breath. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He knew he was cold. The coldness of his faith was contrasted with the hotness of the faith of God. When you are cold and far from the Lord, you know you need him. That would be someone who is cold. Someone who is hot would be like the Apostle John who wrote this book. Who left his life to follow Jesus who is now in a exiled on an island in his old age in a prison island writing a book that we are studying even to this day. If you want to talk about faith, the thief was cold. John was hot. So who's the lukewarm? I think you need to go no further than to look at the life of Judas, the disciple. There is nothing in Scripture that says that Jesus was ever saved or that he was a believer. It just says that he was a disciple. He was in the area of Jesus. He was in the team of Jesus. But the thing is, is that he was lukewarm. Judas was warm enough to look like a follower of Jesus but cold enough to sell Jesus out just to meet his own sinful needs. Do you really want to be out of Jesus? Go back and look at that verse where it says, But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You don't, you realize what that means. He's talking to the church and he says, If you don't turn around, I'm going to expel you from my presence. And that is not where you want to be. Jesus places a mirror in front of the Laodiceans. In verse 17, he says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And don't you realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor? And then check this out. Spiritually blind and naked. What is the significance of him saying that they are spiritually blind and naked? Go back to the beginning. I told you there was a reason I had to go through all of that stuff at the beginning. Remember, they were famous for their clothing and they were famous for their eye ointment. And he says, look, you are spiritually blind and you are naked before the Lord. So what does that mean to you and what does that mean to me? It means it doesn't matter how full our garages are, no matter how many cars, trucks or social media friends we have or how what kind of a nest egg we have for retirement or whatever accolades we have today. They will mean nothing when it comes to Jesus Christ returning to this earth to call his church back. It means nothing for a Christian that forsakes their faith for a boat payment, a car payment, a family time, something that they have to pay. Some of you are going to be paying for Christmas for the whole next year. Is it worth it? The things that the Laodiceans were placing their faith in are the very things that they're going to be without on the day of the Lord. What an indictment on this city. But I want you to see this, that if you are blind 
to your own spiritual deficiency, you will never do anything to remedy it. These folks in Laodicea, I'm not throwing them under the bus. They knew no better. They were living just like the culture, just like many people are living today. They are going to churches and they are worshiping and they're singing songs and they're listening to sermons that will tickle their ears. But no one's talking about the word of God. No one is talking about the actual words of Jesus where he says all of these things that are accolades will not matter in the world. It doesn't matter how much you have. They will mean nothing when they are before the Lord. Jesus says in verse 18, buy from me. What does that mean? He says, so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes. So you will be able to see. We see here the white garments are in direct contrast to the black, dark garments that they sold. We see the pureness Of living a Christian life in direct conflict with the life soiled by the soot of sin. He says, look to me for the miracle eye ointment. Here's the crazy thing. If you go back and you were to study the graves of those that died in Laodicea, I wonder how many people died with perfect eyesight. Think about it. Their faith was in the eye ointment. I wonder how many people died with perfect eyesight. You know, we're all going to die one day, right? And my precious senior adults on Wednesday night, I know they get mad at me when I say this. But we will pray, and and I believe all the time about praying for people that are needing medical help. I've got a dear friend right now that's dealing with cancer. But I know this. Regardless of how much we pray and how long we pray, we all one day will draw our last breath. I know it's morbid, but it's the truth. And that's what Jesus is trying to wake the Laodiceans up and say, look, get out of your sleep. Get out of your slumber. You are not supposed to be like everybody else. I have a difference. I I have something I want you to see. And then we see in verses 20 through 22, Jesus invites you to leave your lukewarm living today. Look at the verse. It'll be very popular once you read it. You'll, You'll remember it or some form of it. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on the throne. Anyone with ears must hear, listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. I want to address a misconception here. And I'm showing a picture on the screen here. I hope you can see it. You've probably seen it before. This is a picture of Jesus knocking on a door and the whole. How many of y'all seen this picture before? Okay. All right. Well, if you notice that on the door, there's no doorknob. And so the artist was trying to say that, look, Jesus is not going to open the door. He's knocking at the door of your heart wanting to come in. And I've heard this used in invitations. I've probably even used it during invitations. This verse about Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And we equate this verse to mean those that who are lost and are wayward and have never accepted Christ. And of which it will apply to that. It is good for that. There's nothing wrong with that. But check with me. We're almost done. Check this out. The true context to which this 
verse is written, it's written to the church of Laodicea. It is written to the church of Laodicea, which means he was on the outside of a church that would refuse to let him in. That's what that verse means. Jesus is standing at the door of a church that claims to worship and serve him, yet they will not let him in. That was the church at Laodicea. I know that if I was invited to a family's house, and when I got there they refused to let me in, I'd be a little offended, maybe even heartbroken. Why would you invite Jesus to come into your life for salvation, but love him enough not to give him the right to control your life? As your Lord or leader. Folks, Jesus wants to spend time with you in a relationship. It says in that verse that he wants to share a meal. That meant that he wanted to come in and he wanted to have some fellowship with you. Not just listening to a red-faced preacher scream for 30 minutes. But it means having a daily walk with him. And finally, I would say, as we see in verse 20... It says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. You, my friend, you are the fix to a broken church. He's not talking to the church as a whole there. He's saying, look, look, James, you are the fix to this lukewarm church. If you want to fix lukewarm living, it begins with you. If you, the invitation to the church is not a corporate one, but one as an individual. And we see in verse 13, do you realize that Laodicea gets a promise that the other six churches did not get? The promise that Laodicea gets is that overcomers will be rewarded. It says that those who are victorious will sit on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. So the church of Laodicea, they actually get to sit on the throne. I mean, my goodness. Growing up, my dad had his chair. You don't sit in daddy's chair. That's daddy's chair. If he's not there, it's still daddy's chair. And if I was sitting in it and I knew daddy was coming home, I'd get out of it real quick. Because that was a place of honor. Some of you, when you have those rare occasions where you sit down at the family dinner table, you have that one head chair where your patriarch or your matriarch sits. That leads the family. And that's why it gets so painful in years as mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers start passing away. Those chairs are empty and everyone's afraid to sit in that chair because there's so much honor in that chair. Can you imagine the honor of being on the throne of Jesus Christ? None of the other churches get that. They get the honor. Matter of fact, the disciples argued over who would sit at the right hand of Jesus. Yet he's saying, those of you who get past your lukewarm living will be on the throne with Jesus. You can overcome. You can repent. Don't let your ears betray you today. May God's word, if you are lukewarm today, my friend, may God draw you back to himself. Because the honest truth of it is, maybe before you came in here, You didn't even know you were lukewarm. But if you are, heed this warning. Because if you walk out and write it off, you may not get this chance again. Jesus is calling you into himself. He's put a mirror in front of your face, in front of mine. And he's calling us to not live a lukewarm halfway life, but to live a life committed to him. Make today the day that you decide to quit living 
a lukewarm life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together today. And Lord, I know that uh, there are many in here today and maybe watching this video either now or later on that would say that yeah, I've got areas in my life where I've fallen and drifted and I need to return. That doesn't, that doesn't happen with a New Year's resolution list. That doesn't happen with I'm going to do my best to get better. That comes with a total confession, repentance, and dependence upon you. So God, if there's anyone here today or watching this video that needs to repent and to know that they are no longer living a lukewarm life, that they need help, they need someone to walk them through what it means to get past lukewarm living. May they not leave this place or tune off this feed until they reach out either through message or phone call or even those here today. I'll be here until everyone leaves. But God, thank you for your son warning us not to live a lukewarm life. It's a dangerous place to be, and most people don't know they're there. Thank you for your